this episode of Journey to the Stone, we're going to talk about diamond. Everybody knows diamond. Everybody wants to understand diamond and everybody wants to get diamond. The world market for diamond is by far the largest market in the world for gemstones. It demands the highest price per carat. It has broke new world records year on year over the last 20 years and has been in the minds of, you know, royalty, celebrities going back hundreds of years. If you look back at the original discovery of diamonds dating back to the mines of the Kalakanda region of ancient India, this is where it all began. This is where the whole situation started. So there were these mines that were mined in what's known today as the area of Hyderabad. Ironically, Hyderabad now is actually a pearl market. It's not a diamond market, but that's where all the diamonds were originally mined. Now, notable diamonds that have come from the Kalakanda region are like the Kuhinor diamond in the British Crown Jewels or the Orlov diamond in the Russian Federation Jewels, the Hope diamond, the Dresden diamond. All of these diamonds came from this one deposit that was actually found in what's known today as Hyderabad or they're all known as Golaconda diamonds. And they're known primarily because of their type 2A classification. A type 2A diamond has high optical dispersion due to the lack of nitrogen in the crystal structure. This particular material is just very rare and it's historical. So we get a lot of people who like to collect the Golaconda diamonds. There's very few in circulation today day. But when you get one, you know, you're looking at something that is just extremely rare. And how we identify these stones is predominantly through the type 2A classification or type 2B classification, depending on the type of stones. Type 2B usually are the fancy colors. Type 2A would be the optical high brilliance white variety. So here we are in the 1700s. They're mining diamonds in ancient India. Now, a lot of these diamonds you know, basically were sold to royalty throughout the world. And that's what put diamond on the map. And these particular diamonds are extremely rare and collected. And they also represent some of the biggest collected diamonds in the world. The graph Wishelback is also a Kalakanda. There's a lot of Kalakandas around the world that currently sit in museums, etc. So that was the diamond that put it on the map. Now let's fast forward to the current environment of diamonds. So you got white diamonds all over the world. They're used for weddings, marriages, and it is by far the largest industry in existence. 99.9% of all diamonds in the world that are sold are pretty much in the range of the GH color. You know, the mass market material, GH color, SI clarity, that's the material that most people get married with. It's stuff that you see regularly across the shops. SI is still a good clarity, right? Eye clarity starts to become a little bit, you know, heavily included for the naked eye. But if you got an SI diamond, you still got an attractive diamond that sparkles. It's got good crystallization, etc. And then, of course, as you move forward to the perfect diamond, which is the D flawless, it represents, if you look from the SI grade and above, not below SI grade, but just in the gem quality diamond section, it's one in three million diamonds will hit the perfect classification 
of the D flawless. The D flawless is like the needle in the haystack. It is almost impossible to find. It is rare. It is uncommon. And it just, it sells for a huge premium to what most people wear when they get married, like a multiple of three to four times, just due to the rarity of supply. And that's usually what defines the value is based off of supply because collectors, wholesalers, you know, enthusiasts want what people don't have a lot of. You know, in the case of Cat Florence, she only uses D Flawless, which make, gives me a headache because it's one of the most difficult diamonds to find. It's one in three million diamonds. And therefore, it sends me on a mission trying to work with the beers. I've worked with Rio Tinto. I've worked with all the different mining deposits from the Venetia mine in the northern part of South Africa over to, you know, the Letsang mine in the kingdom of Lesetho or down to what's known as the Debmarine mine in Namibia, as well as the Canadian mines, the Ekatai mine. You know, I've done it all. I've been everywhere trying to find this deep flawless diamond, right? Very rare, very difficult to find. So it really boils down to the grading spectrum, but diamonds have grown year on year quite significantly. And they've, they've proven to be a good, they've, been, they've proven to be a great investment over time just because of the world demand is constantly growing for them. There is a lot of white diamond in the world. That is a true fact. And I know that De Beers holds on to a lot of them and they basically control that market. But then if you want to talk about something that is not controlled and is something that is extremely, extremely rare and raises the level, Deep Flawless is rare because it's one in three million. But there is something that is also extremely rare, natural untreated diamonds. When you're talking about the world of natural untreated diamonds, that is very uncommon. You're talking about one in a, you know, like if you're talking pink diamonds, it's like one in a million, two million, three million diamonds will ever be pink. So that's extremely rare. Blues, same type of ratios and numbers. Yellow, you're talking about one in 20, 25,000, 30,000, depending on the deposit, which location produces more. For example, the Venetia mine the, the Venetia mine in the northern part of South Africa on the border of Zimbabwe doesn't really produce a lot of yellows. Uh, the Letsang mine doesn't really produce a lot. We do get some yellows out of the Deb Marine mine, occasionally out of the Kingdom of Lesetho as well. We get some out of Argyle as well, some yellow diamonds. They tend to have more of a pinkish secondary to the yellow. Some people like that because of the Argyle factor to them, right? It really depends what you're into, but they're just not common. But the yellow diamonds come out of Botswana as well, right? If you go to the Botswana deposit, you'll see some nice yellows that come out of there with great optical brilliance. When you're looking for yellow, so let's take the canary yellow diamond, right? What's the color that you're looking for? You're looking for like fancy colors, like a fancy yellow is an amazing canary yellow diamond, right? If you can get a fancy yellow, fancy Vivid. All these fancy types of yellows are amazing quality yellow diamonds. And then, of course, clarity matters. I mean, Kat, all her diamonds are exceptional. She only deals with the best, you know, she won't even set anything but D flawless, which is ridiculous, but it is the way she operates. And she's the only designer in the world who has ever done that. And that also limits her ability to scale because if Kat would go to VVS1 like every other jeweler in the world, she would be able to scale her line significantly. But 
because she refuses and she stays only with what I refer to as the needle in the haystack or the unicorn, the D flawless, it limits how many pieces she can make per annum. And that is one of the reasons why Cat Florence will always be a limited supply. She is known in the world as the Bugatti Enron of race cars or the supercar, the handmade, hand-tailored Maybach when it comes to supercars. So the yellows, what you want to be looking for, if you like yellows, you know, are, you know, that night, nice fancy yellows. Cad has put out some notable nice fancy yellows. She's got an 11 karat cushion that I gave to her that I got a while back. Uh, there's also an eight karat cushion that I gave to her, but you'll see some nice yellows coming out of Cat Florence. Once again, it's all about the quality with Cat, so you can be assured the cutting is top of the line. The quality is excellent. The dispersion hits hits you know all the points and you're going to see a whole lot of sparkle when you see the diamonds that she produces now let me take you to the rarest diamond in the world the pink diamond so let's go back to argyle the argyle deposit was discovered in 1985 officially and actually started mining with rio tinto in 85 but it was actually discovered in 1979 and it was discovered it, it was it was a long-term discovery. Now, this type of pipe is different than a lot of diamond mines, which are known as kimberlite deposits. This is actually a volcanic pipe, and it's one of the largest producing, you know, discoveries of diamonds in the world. It's a volcanic pipe, which basically moved diamonds from about 160 miles in the Earth's mantle and moved them up to the Earth's soil. Now, this is the largest producer and by no means is there any quantity, but very, very limited. But it is the largest producer of pink diamonds in the world. A lot of discussions on where these pink diamonds come from. Some people think it's the elements, you know, like blue diamond gets its blue from boron, you know, yellow diamond gets its yellow from nitrogen. But you know, pink diamonds, there's a lot of different discussions about it. A lot of people believe this volcanic event happened over a billion years ago and the you know the you know the actual dinosaurs were walking by and these diamonds sat on the earth's soul getting all that sun in the australian area of where the ak1 pipe is and basically turned pink over time i don't know if i buy that theory because diamonds are diamonds are pretty much indestructible there there is some trace elements that we find within but we have no confirmation of what creates this natural phenomenon i've also found the oddball rare pink diamond coming out of either tanduru in the ancient rivers of tanzania as well as i've seen pink diamonds coming out of other deposits as well when i'm hunting down the flawless they might have one pink but it's literally one in it, it, it's ridiculous numbers right it's like it's crazy numbers it's something that is so rare it's like everything stops when a pink diamond is discovered because of the rarity of it some notable argyle pink diamonds that have come out of cap florence is there was a fancy pink 5.06 carat so a fancy pink argyle diamond is 
just crazy rare. There was also a light pink two carat. Both of the stones were flawless, right? They were both flawless diamonds, the five carat and the two carat. And just to have that in pink diamond is unheard of. You know, a one carat argyle, if you look at when I was going to Australia in the 90s, because back in the day, you know, I tell you, I used to go to Lightning Ridge to pick up black opal. I used to go to Queensland to pick up sapphire and sell them back in the market in Chantaburi, Thailand to the, you know, the cutters there. And I used to actually go in this area and there were people who had been around these mines. Remember this deposit, these diamonds sat on the earth, on the, you know, on the surface of the earth before Rio took, Rio Tinto took possession of this. So some of the rock hounds in the area had some rough pieces here and there. And I was able to get some diamonds that way, as well as I was able to trade, you know, some, you know, lightning ridge black opal for some argyle back in the day. But a one carat argyle you know back in 1995 compared to now i mean the price has gone up exponentially a one carat argyle fancy pink will set you back 300,000 wholesale in today's market 300,000 wholesale and it can go retail up to double that so you know you're looking at exponential growth in the diamond world now it's funny because if you look back a hundred years ago right nobody wanted the pink diamonds nobody wanted the blue diamonds nobody wanted the yellows nobody wanted them even though they're much much more rare they want them because they wanted white right it's exactly the same as tanzanite everybody wanted the blue tanzanite but they're Pink tanzanite now sells for 10 times the price of blue tanzanite because there is no supply and everybody has learned that, wait a minute, there's a pink tanzanite and it's extremely, extremely rare. Same thing happened with diamonds. So those are notable diamonds and that have gone through Cap Florence and, you know, stones I've collected throughout the years. You don't get a lot of pink diamonds. I think through my whole career of Argyle pink diamonds, I've got less than, you know, you know, 10 pieces or something like that, right? And every once in a while, I give one to Cap Florence to make a piece of jewelry and it sells immediately just due to the rarity of this material, right? And that's just the way, that's just the way it is. The, the supply is so limited and the demand is massive when it comes to Argyle material. Unfortunately, the Argyle mine has closed as of 2020. So that is the end of an era. And that is the, the reality of our world. But let me take you now into the world of other gemstones. So basically the predominant producers of stones in the world market of diamonds that are out there, let's start with Africa. So I do a lot of buying up there. I go up to the Venetia mine over on the border of uh, Zimbabwe. I also go down to the kingdom of Lesetho. That's the Letsang diamond mine. It's the highest altitude diamond mine, you know, in all of Africa at 10,000 feet. What's interesting about this particular diamond mine is it does produce a lot of big diamonds. If you follow graph diamonds, you'll see a lot of graph diamonds come from the kingdom of Lesetho. And he's actually taking a position investing into that mine personally. Graph is pretty big on the diamond scale. Now, if you follow the Orange River from the center of South Africa, the Orange River is the natural separation between, you know, the border of South Africa and the border of Namibia. You'll basically run that into the Atlantic Ocean. And what you'll end up with is what's known as the Debmarine Mine. It's actually on the Namibian side. The Debmarine Mine, people tend to believe, produces some of the cleanest quality diamonds because they've had to to 
travel that journey for hundreds and hundreds of miles through the Orange River, rolling on the bottom of the river to be spurted out into the ocean along the beach because they're actually found on the beach there. And actually, then they're all brought back and helicoptered into this one area in Namibia. It's called the Debmarine Mine, controlled by... Uh, you know, also controlled by the beers, you sit down and you can also get some deep flawless out of there. Very few, very limited once again, but always interesting to go to Namibia. I love Namibia. I love the country. I love the locale. I, uh, you know, I've discovered lots of deposits of gems out there. You got a lot of random pockets over in the Orongo region of Namibia, over on the west, on the west coast of Namibia. You've also got some of the most beautiful deserts in the world. And I've discovered Demantoid, Aquamarine, Tourmaline, Yellow Canary, Yellow Tourmalines, and some rare varieties coming out of. Namibia that just produces that just produces some beautiful, beautiful gems, right? So those are the gems basically what I refer to as the golden, you know, the, the triangle, the golden triangle of diamond, which is basically crossing over. And then let's not forget the big daddy of them all. Botswana, the Jurwang Diamond Mine in Botswana. That is one of the largest producing diamond mines in the world. And I love the diamonds that come out of that deposit because whenever I do find a deep flawless, they tend to have a blue flash to them. And that is known as Blue River. Extremely unique, extremely rare. I love going to Botswana. It is one of the world's most impressive places when it's come to a joint venture between a mining company and a country. See, Botswana basically has, you know, very well sophisticated development because it's 50% controlled by De Beers and 50% by the government of Botswana. So I know a lot of people in Botswana because of, you know, a lot of them are geologists. And as I hunt the gemological world and I go into different parts of Africa, a lot of the guys will go with me actually originate from Botswana. So it's always interesting to go there, meet my buddies and basically, you know, see where their roots are from. But it's, you know, it's a country that's really worked that 50% of the gross national income comes from diamonds, which is really amazing. I don't think there's any other country in the world like it, but they've done great things. So that's the area within Africa. Now I can take you to the northern part of Canada. Canada is actually quite an interested area when it comes to diamonds. So you're up there in Yellowknife and around three hours north of Yellowknife, you have the Ekatai diamond mines. They produce some amazing, amazing diamonds. It's really tough to get them out, though. These diamonds, I mean, you're dealing with extreme temperatures, very, very difficult, you know, area to work with. But I was actually locked during COVID in for two years. I was locked down in the Canada region. I did a lot of work with the Dominion mine and the Dominion, the Dominions, basically the Dominion Diamond Company basically owns the Ekatai and several other mines in the northern part of Canada. And basically, Basically, I've done some work with them and I was able to tap into some of their resources as well. And they also do get some yellows and they get some other colors, right? And uh, like I said, I give Cat everything I can of the best, best quality and I sell rough off of the other material because that's my core business. But Diamond has captured the hearts of so many people. It's been an amazing ride watching this happen for 30 years and watching Diamond continuously grow in demand throughout the world market. But if you're really investing in diamonds, you got to invest where the rarity is. Anything pink, 
anything fancy yellows, nice colors, anything in blues or and of course, and of course, anything in pink. Now, pink, it doesn't matter if it's light pink, doesn't matter if it's deep pink, doesn't matter if it's fancy pink, it doesn't matter. All pinks are rare. All pinks are rare, right? It doesn't matter. And a lot of pinks and the way they grade them in the GIA, which is also interesting, is they'll grade them like, you know, uh, brownish pink. Now, brownish pink means it is 80 odd percent or 80 percent pink with a little bit of brown. It's awkward how they put the color. The primary color is the second color. So you're always looking at the second color, not the first color. So if it says brownish pink, don't worry about it. Right. Because that means it's pink. Right. With 20 percent brown. Right. Something like that. Now, if it's pinkish brown, it's not as good as brownish pink. Isn't that cool? Right. The GIA does it the other way around. And a lot of people in the layman world don't know this. Right. But it's the other way around. You want the brownish tones or the off tones, or the off shades, the overtones to be in the first slot, because that means they're not a dominating slot. You want the secondary color. So, for example, if you have a brownish pink diamond, that is a pink diamond with a slight tinge of brown to it. Insignificant. Right. If you have a pinkish brown diamond, that's a brown diamond with a slight tinge of pink to it. Now, both of these types will come out of Argyll and both are rare. But if you can get pink in the second slot, that's the money, baby. That's the money. That's where the money is. Right. Big money can demand six digits, seven, you know, big amounts of money, depending on the size of the diamonds. Right. So that's my update in, uh, you know, Journey to the Stone. I've traveled the whole world. I've done to, uh, I've been to all these different deposits all across the world. You know, I'm just trying to give some updates to everybody. People keep asking me about my information of different deposits and discoveries. I hope you find this helpful. Thank you.